Thank you, Zach and worship team. Blessing and sweet songs about a loving God, a loving God. So today, um, our family got away this week, went to Lake Tahoe, and I showed off my skills of paddle boarding, and uh, I showed all the skills that I had. Uh, we'll just leave it at that, okay? Um, I know my kids have already thrown me under the bus. and uh, Anyways, uh, but um, uh, we got away, and I th- thought it would be time for a break uh, from First Thessalonians, and so I picked something easy. I- I'm going to explain to you the love of God uh, in Romans chapter 8, so you can turn there to Romans chapter 8. I, I realize um, love is meant to make us secure. Uh, we uh, are seeking security in many things. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to find your security, uh, a lot of different things, people in this life. I, I remember when I got to be the uh, pastor at church at Petaluma up in the Bay Area, north of San Francisco. Uh, there was a man, um, and in my mind, I always thought of him as the richest man in town because he was. Uh, he he may not have been the richest man, but he was extremely wealthy. And it was kind of a funny thing because we met in this junior high, and uh, most of us were very common people, um, some more common than others. But uh, he would come, and he was a part of our church, and he came to know Christ in those years. And But uh, he was one of the richest men in town. And I, I remember uh, one of the people from our church worked at a Starbucks. Uh, you know, they were working at a Starbucks, and uh, their air conditioner went out at the Starbucks, and uh, this man's son comes into the Starbucks, and he goes, hey, good to see you. What are you doing here? And he says, oh, this is my dad's building. Uh, we need to fix the, I, I heard the air conditioner was out. We're going to come get a guy out here. This is my dad's building. And goes, oh, okay. Oh, we're going to Starbucks. Uh, and uh, I remember at a time we were thinking of moving out of the junior high, and uh, we were talking about, and uh, he said, well, I have this building down. Maybe that would work. Oh, maybe that wouldn't work. And he, as I talked to him, I, I realized that that he had extreme wealth. In fact, uh, as uh, we got to know him, uh, he got the diagnosis of cancer. And I remember uh, him attacking cancer as rich people do. And so what he did was he goes, um, have this cancer. Uh, I'm not going to go to the doctors here. I, the best cancer doctors at this time are in Houston. So I'm going to go to Houston. And so he would fly to Houston uh, every month, month and a half, two months. And, uh, you know, during uh, during during that time, uh, I was living in the Bay Area. And I don't know if you've heard the um, it's uh, some it's it's always damp up there. It's always kind of cold. And uh, even during the summertime. And so uh, when he needed to get away, he'd go to he'd fly to Mexico, to his house in Mexico. And uh, he he would do whatever he needed to. And in many ways, his security was in his finances. But uh, when you get cancer, when you get cancer, uh, sometimes money can't fix your problems. Sometimes you can't uh, look to uh, your finances or even your good health or even you realize that can't fix what you have. And so you look for security. And for him, uh, it was how God saved him. And he transferred his security from his finances to his Lord. 
And this morning, uh, we're, we're going to look, we're, we're going to consider our, our security. Where is it found? And, and I realize, I, I want, want you to get a picture for yourself. There should be some security. In love, there is security. Uh, that's why we make marriage vows, right? And there's a sense of security that comes from that. Imperfect, definitely. But this idea is that this is the one that's going to be with me. And kids, you know this, right? Uh, there's, there's times where you go out and you, you want to be free from your parents and your family. But when stuff happens and you, you, you're looking for security, a lot of times you run home. You run home. You run to your siblings or your mom or your dad. You just want to be with them. Even when you're an adult, there's a sense where you just want the security of knowing uh, the love of your family. I know our families fail us often, and I know that uh, in marriages we fail one another. But today we're going to talk about the perfect love that comes from God. The perfect love. And it, it should be your security. It should be your security. Um, this morning, I don't take lightly uh, what's going on in your life. I, I don't say, well, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. You know, I, it can't be that big of a deal. God loves you. Just get over it. I don't take that lightly. Uh, but I want you to know that because of the way our God loves us and his uh, overwhelming grace and mercy to us, it should be the security for us in the midst of any storm of this life. And so I I present this to you uh, for your courage this morning that God has something for you that's a treasure that will help you through anything that God uh, has in his plan for you, even what you're struggling with now. You turn to Romans chapter 8 and stand in honor of God's word. I'd like to read to you from verse 34. God's word says this, who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died more than that was raised, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, we ask your blessing on your word this morning. We ask that you would teach us what we need to know, that you would instruct us, that you would change us, that you would anchor us for the days and the weeks to come. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
this morning I, I realized that I looked at chapter 8 and I thought, man, I'd like to talk about everything in chapter 8. Uh, that would have taken me two, three months, four months, I don't know, uh, maybe longer, and I would have just breezed over it. And this morning, even the chunk that I have taken, uh, I can't do justice, okay? Uh, but I'm looking for three lines for you that will encourage you. Um, I'll give them to you and as we go along. But the first thing I want, my first point this morning is that He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. If you look down to God's Word, uh, verse 34, it starts out with a question. Who is to condemn? Or who who would condemn us? Who can condemn us? And the answer to that uh, is somewhat complicated. Um, if I were to ask you, who is it that accuses you or condemns you or makes you feel insecure or brings up charges against you? And some of you would say, everyone, everyone. I, I feel condemned by everyone. I feel inadequate by everyone. I, I sometimes feel condemned by my past when I think about it. I, I sometimes feel condemned with today, my failures. And I sometimes even uh, project out condemnation for the future and my failures that I will do. Uh, and, and sometimes it, it's just the world. It's just the world system says you're not good enough. But, but other times it's family members. <laughs> It's family members and their comments and their, some direct, some snide, and some implying things, right? Uh, and, and other times, it's coworkers, and other times, it's even your children, and some other times, it's even your parents, and other times, it's unbelievers, and sometimes, it's even believers. And so the answer to the question, who is to condemn, you say, all kinds of people, and yet, in this passage, if you look at chapter 8, verse 1, sneaking back a little bit to give you a little context, what does it say? <laughs> look at it. Listen to these words. Listen to these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me work that out for you a little bit. It means that we've never done anything wrong. No, that's not true. Some of you are going, that's bad preaching. What did he do? Did he hit his head on the, the board where he was trying to stand? Uh, yes, I did, but I, I'm still clear thinking. Um, but it's not that we have not sinned. In fact, our sins are real. They are condemning. They do pronounce us guilty, both the past sins and the present sins and the sins to come, right? They pronounce us guilty. There's a sense of judgment that comes with that, that, that says, you did it. I, I know that all of us struggle with that little uh, kid heart, especially among siblings, uh, where you're working it out, right? It's not my fault, it's my sister who did it, or my brother who did it. If they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done this, so it's not my fault. 
we're working it out in our mind. We're saying, I, I can't be fully guilty of this. And yet we are. Yet we are. Our sins are ours. They're ours to own. Which brings about condemnation. But, but, but God in His Word and God in His plan, the Father in His plan, sent His Son Jesus so that verse eight could be, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 could be true. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you, um, in our passage this morning, this, the silence is deafening, right? Verse uh, 34 says, who is to condemn? And in your mind, you want to say, well, I'm to condemn myself. Uh, my friends and family, my world that I live in. I have an accuser, right? I, uh, there's plenty to condemn, but the silence is deafening, right? Because the answer is found to the question is found. Who is it to condemn? No one. Why? Because it says, it says Christ died and rose again. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised. The reason that there is now no one to condemn. There is no one that has anything to say to those who are in Christ Jesus is because Christ went to the cross. And more than that, He rose from the dead. Great passage, right? Great answer. We have many condemnations. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, let me read this to you. It says this, it's speaking of uh, end times where uh, Jesus is coming and he's fixing all that's wrong with the earth. And one of those things is dealing with the accuser. It says this. Uh, now, I heard a loud voice in the heavens saying, now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. Listen to that. And you say, well, what is the accuser doing? Day and night, he is accusing us. Where does this condemnation come from? It comes from our accuser, right? And you know how he works? He works in the sinful world, bringing the situation, trying to bring back the condemnation. He, he takes people who hate our Savior, and He uses them, and He prompts them to go and to be part of the condemnation. He also will even take believers who are struggling and, and trusting in themselves to use to bring that condemnation. He also uses our own weakness, our own weakness in our own heart and life to bring up these thoughts of condemnation when the reality is, chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation. None for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Isn't that an amazing truth? It doesn't matter what kind of mess you're in right now. It matters that there's no condemnation. Even if you brought it about yourself, if you have trusted in Christ, uh, there's no condemnation. But wait, there's more. And this is amazing truth. Amazing truth. It says... Uh, there's no one to condemn because Jesus died and rose again. But it also says this. He was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The right hand 
it, it portrays Jesus in the heavens with the Father in the highest place of honor in heaven, the right hand of God. It presents Him as sitting down, not working and busying Himself, but finished with His work, sitting down at the right hand of God and doing what? And doing what? Interceding for us. As our enemy does not cease to work to condemn us, to accuse us, our Savior remains interceding for us. What an amazing truth. What an amazing picture. Our enemy accuses us day and night. Our Savior intercedes for us now, today, until we are with Him. He intercedes for us. You could say it like this. His loving act of the cross was enough to save us, and His loving intercession is enough to keep us safe. Keep us safe. It was not just a point in time where he brought about our salvation, but he remains in place to hold us, to hold us until our salvation is realized. What an amazing truth. That God in his plan has his son, Jesus, his, our Savior, interceding for us until we are seeing him face to face. What an amazing truth. And I want to tell you, that's a truth for your security, right? For you to be able to get through the day. When bombs are going off, when the lava is inside of you getting ready to erupt, there's security to know that your Savior intercedes for you. You say, I can't make it. I can't do it. I want to say, you can. Not because of your own strength, but because of the strength of the one interceding. This morning, uh, as we look at these three points, I, I just want to warn you about this. It's not your own strength. I know people like to flatter one another and say, oh, this is the strongest man I've ever known. Or this is the strongest woman I've ever known. And they've gone through some incredible things. And they've been able to do this, that, and the other thing. And I want to tell you as believers, uh, don't let that comment stand. To look back at them and say, yes, I'm a strong woman or I'm a strong man. Only because I have a Savior who intercedes for me, who loves me, who is connected with me eternally. It is only because of what Christ did on my behalf and continues to do on my behalf that I can stand in the midst of difficult and uh, crushing things of this life. He intercedes for us. My second point this morning is He loves us. He loves us. God's Word says this in verse 35. Uh, it, it speaks of, asks another question. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then He goes on uh, about a list of things that I would call outward pressures. Outward pressures. Things that come upon the life of a believer. There's outward pressures. There's things that uh, come, and he, he lists them, tribulation, distress, persecution. The idea of persecution is being not just uh, uh, general difficulties of this life, but persecution, especially in the Scriptures, relates to, I've trusted in Christ, so now I'm a target 
of the enemy and those who also, because of my relationship with Christ, there's persecutions. Uh, as we look at this, uh, he goes on, he says famine. He says famine. Uh, it's not just the idea of being hungry yourself, but not being able to find food to the to the right or to the left, or the left or right, or you can't find it. It's not just that uh, you are hungry in the midst of food, but you're hungry in the midst of famine, right? Desperate times. He also terms nakedness, the idea that we cannot even clothe ourselves properly. These are outward pressures that might come upon the life of a believer. And, and for some to say, well, Maybe there is something, some outward circumstance that would come upon my life that would cause me to not enjoy uh, the love of Christ, to be separated from the love of Christ. Paul uh, marks this with a quotation from the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, verse 36. He says this, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And this connects with the Old Testament followers of God uh, to the New Testament followers of God through His Son, Jesus. The idea of, of following after Christ, it brings about our killing. It's not that they are dead once, but it's this idea that there is persecutions and pressures meant to destroy us, even as believers, in fact, as part of being believers. And then he says this, and uh, if you go back to the last passage, that phrase that we should have looked for is this, uh, who is interceding for us. Now he comes to the second just gem of something that can hold on to. He says this, no, in all these things, more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want to tell you more than conquerors. He's interceding for us. We are more than conquerors. Uh, that, that phrase, more than conquerors, once again, I, I want to tell you, I love it. I love it. I, I want you to put it in your mind. More than conquerors. Uh, when you come up to difficult times, you remind yourself that God's Word has told you, because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you are more than conquerors. You're not one, one that, I want to say it this way, many of you follow sports, and you sports, unless it's t-ball, there's always a winner, and there's always a loser. Um, we don't keep track of who's winning. Well, come on. <laughs> I always think it's funny. The most important kid on a t-ball team is the one who's already learned to count, right? Because he knows the score. Uh, uh, I want to tell you that uh, sports has this thing. There's a winner and a loser. And at the end of the season, there's a champion, right? And they, they take a picture, and they're, they're holding up their finger. We're number one, right? And, but, but sometimes it, it's kind of confusing. It, it, it's one of those things where they barely won. They barely won. Or... It was a bad call and late in, late in the game, and a bad call led to a swinging of momentum. And, and so uh, it was kind of, they didn't deserve to win, but they did win. 
Or maybe it was somebody got hurt on the other team and that team couldn't field their, and so it was kind of this idea that they, they barely won but sort of won but kind of didn't, right? But the picture here is this. We're more than conquerors. We're more than victors. We, it wasn't we barely won. It was overwhelming force. We won, and it wasn't on a technicality. We didn't just get a lucky break. We won because it was through Him. I want to remind you that if, you're more, if it's more than conquerors for you, that if that's who you are, I'm more than a conqueror. It's not because you are a strong woman or a strong man. It wasn't because you were tough and stubborn and you came from good stock, good family. And you were just like your dad or just like your mom. It wasn't that at all. If we are more than conquerors, because of the victory that was won by Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. That's the only reason. I want to warn you about something else, too. When I I was young, um, boxing was a big thing. and I, I watched it on TV, and you got to watch Howard Cosell. And if you don't know who Howard Cosell is, sad for you. It's sad for you. Um, Howard Cosell, and he would go ringside, and he would, he would and, and it was always interesting. They, they'd interview the fighters afterwards, and you'd see them, and, and their faces just look terrible. They're like all puffy, and sometimes they wear sunglasses, and, and nowadays it's MMA, right? And that's where blood's spurting everywhere, and, and they're talking about that they were the champion, and you, you kind of go in your mind, you go, you don't really look like a champion. Uh, I won. If you look, if, if the way you look and you won, I'd hate to see the other guy, what he's looking like right now. Because you don't look like a winner. You look like you got beaten. I want to tell you, that might be us. That might be us. That there is a tax in this life and there's a sense where uh, we are beaten, bruised, tattered, and torn. Even as we go across the finish line, we, we like to think of it as uh, easy going, right? Uh, so you know who Usain Bolt is, right? And he just retired. By the way, he lost his final race. He lost. Uh, but uh, he's a sprinter. And at last Olympics, as he was going across the line, I think it was the 100, 100 meter, he was so far ahead, he just kind of looked at the camera and smiled. And there was a sense of victory. I want to tell you, rarely does it happen that way. For us to be more than conquerors, we are tattered and torn, but our Savior is the one who gets the victory. Our Savior is the one. And we are more than conquerors because we are not separated from His love, our Savior's love. He loves us. He intercedes for us. He loves us. And lastly, I would say this. He stuck to us. Stuck to us. If you look at God's Word, um, this last section, He goes to another list. He tells us that we are more than conquerors, and then He adds this, verse 38. For I am sure, and He says, for I am sure. This is my confidence. This is my security. And I want to tell you, uh, this is stuff to... Bolster your security. I don't want a show of hands of those who are struggling, being insecure right now. Uh, 
You're in good company. You're in good company. Uh, you're with the majority. Uh, there's, there's two groups of people. There's the insecure and the delusional. Okay? You get one or the other. You get one or the other, which is really just one group anyways. Um, we struggle with this. And so as you read these words, for I am sure, as you say, I need something to be sure in. And Paul's going to give it to us. This is, was his list of that. And, and I, I titled this last one that he is stuck to us. He is stuck to us. In parentheses, and to the Father. So there's this picture here that they are inseparable communion, the Father and the Son. But what God is telling us through his word, through his servant Paul, that we are also, that Christ is stuck to us. He is stuck to us. And so being stuck to us and stuck to the Father gives us this uh, inseparable relationship with God for eternity because of what Christ has done. But he says, for I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this. What, what is it? What is he sure of? And he goes through a list of, he's already talked about outward things that could come upon us. Now it's inward fears, inward fears. He says, for I'm sure these inward fears, okay, um, won't be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's go through them. First of all, I, I just want to say this. Uh, sometimes the fears, whew, they're a lot, right? Some of you uh, go over your fears during the day and it creeps into the night, wakes you up at night. And you go through the fears and if you are settled in one fear, you go to the next fear and then go from fear to fear and you jump around and it, it's just a struggle. It's overwhelming. And, and you say, how can I overcome these fears? How can I face the fears? And this is what Paul will address for us um, in the Lord. First one is this. Uh, he says that neither death nor life. Death and life. Uh, to die... I think everyone, to some degree or another, has struggled uh, fearing death. It might have been when you were young and you figured it out. You figured out that people die, things die. And so then you went to bed and you lay there and you go, maybe I'm going to die. Maybe the boogeyman in the closet's going to get me. Maybe the guy under the bed. Maybe the roof's going to cave in. Maybe I'm going to crash my bike. Maybe like, And you went through them and you feared what was going to happen when you die? You say, and then you say, well, you know, you struggle with, well, what happens after this? How can I get past this? What's going to go on? The fear of death. And you say, uh, I can't face it. I, I, maybe even as older people, you see your life coming to an end. And you know, you can do math and you realize life expectancy is shorter now. And you say, I fear death. But connect these dots. Connect these dots. Paul's saying, I'm sure of this. That even death, even death cannot separate me from the love of God. I want to tell you that knowing that you can't be separated from the love of God is meant to give you security and confidence so that you can face death. You can face death. That you can look and say, well, what if I die today? What if the love of God will still be holding me, granting me security? So I can face death. I want to tell you, we will face death. We will. And you know, it's interesting. 
and, and you know this is true. When I shared with you earlier about uh, Stephen Meacham's death, you know what happened? Some of you thought of your own mortality. Some of the younger ones here, he was 24. Some of the, some of the younger ones here go, I remember Stephen. I remember he was part of the youth group. And you, say, and you start doing, well, I'm this age, and Stephen was that age. Some of you who are uh, uh, older than him, you say, well, I, I could I could die. I guess if he could die, I can die. And those of you who are younger, you start doing, well, I could die when I'm 24. Well, that, you know, and you start going, this could happen to me. I want to tell you, you can face death with confidence. Not because of who you are, not because of you're a strong woman or strong man, but you can face death knowing that God loves you. Loves you. It's interesting that he couples together death and life. Some of you don't fear death at all, but you fear tomorrow because of what you have to do. You, you fear your life right here, right now. You, you're looking at uh, the, the hurdles of this life and the burdens that you carry, and your, your life is so messy and complicated and burdensome, and you just go, I, I, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of living. I'm fearing life. And I want to tell you, you can face your life right now, whatever's going on, not because you're a strong woman or a strong man, but because your God loves you and He provides the comfort, security, the, the, the strength for today to, to face whatever life has for you. Facing life, facing death. And he goes on uh, with his list. He goes on from there and he says, angels and rulers. If you look at this, as we look at angels and rulers, we realize that not all angels are good, not all rulers, and most likely this is angelic rulers. But you get this picture of angels, they're doing the will of God. They are working for Him, but not all of them. There are fallen angels as well. And those fallen angels are part of the enemy plot, the one who's accusing us night and day, right? And so his desire is to bring accusation, condemnation, temptation to you. And so you, you may fear, and in churches like ours, sometimes we don't talk about it enough, that there are angels out there seeking our demise, going about serving, and also above them, rulers of angels, okay? Ruling angels, if you will. And, and that can sometimes, as we look at that, we go, man, that kind of freaks me out. I'm afraid of what this unseen enemy can do to me. I want to tell you, you don't have to. Because you know what? The most difficult things that they can do, the, the, the hardest hardship that they can bring to your life, and that's under dispute too, right? Cannot separate you. Cannot separate you from the love of God that you have because of what Jesus did on the so angels and rulers, he goes on in his list and he says the present and the future, the mess of today and the mess of days in the future that are on the calendar, right? Sometimes we put messes on the calendar, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, you know something's coming up. You, there's a, a deadline or there's an appointment or there's a time where we're going to have to see somebody and uh, we look at that and we go, oh no, 
I, I'm fearful. I, I don't know if I can face it. I want to tell you, you can face it. Why? Not because you're strong, but because God loves you and he will be faithful to you today and every day until that other day. For the days that are present, the mess that we have presently, or the mess that's on the calendar in the future, both those that are known and unknown. He goes on to speak of powers. And this word powers uh, many times is translated mighty works. And uh, this could either mean uh, mighty works of authorities down here on earth, but it could also mean like uh, magic type things or witchcraft or, or some kind of trickery or uh, enemy activity that's right before your eyes that you, you see something and you go, ah, I don't know what's going on. It, it makes me fear. And I want to say, even in the midst of that, the love of God can secure you. It can cause you to be able to not run in fear or walk in fear or live in fear, but trusting because God has loved you in His Son, Jesus. He then looks to heavens or the depths and uh, the picture of heavens is and attached me is a great place for it. But this idea that as you look to the heavens and you see the farthest stars that you your eyes can see and it causes you to feel small and overwhelmed and insignificant. But yet in your insignificance, which is true, uh, even in the, this just feeling so small and so insignificant. Uh, your significant is not because you're big and strong and everything else, but it causes you to be secure in the midst of feeling insignificant because God loves you, cares for you. He connects the heavens with the depths. The idea of being in the depths is always a place of uh, a judgment and even uh, uh, not being able to see what's down there. You can imagine yourself going to... Uh, a well that's being drilled. And initially, it's only a four feet, and there's not a sense of fear to all that. But as it goes down further, and as you look down into the hole, you, you see, but after a while, it goes to nothingness, and there's a sense of it, it freaking you out. And, and do you want to go down there? No way, I don't want to go down there. I don't know what's down there. He says, even in the midst of that, nothing in the depths could separate you from the love of God. As we come uh, really to the end of this, uh, this list of inward fears, of things that could go on inside of you to cause you to freak out, Paul abandons his uh, specifics and he says, nor anything else in all creation. Nor anything else. Parents, you do this to your kids when you're giving them chores, right? You say, I want you to clean your room. I want you to put your clothes away. I want you to make your bed. I want you to put your shoes away. I want you to vacuum. You, you list them out. And anything else that looks messy, right? You want to cover everything, right? Paul gives, and some of you here this morning, you looked at that list that Paul's brought out, and you say, oh, I have some fears that aren't, on that list. Uh, I have some fears that are maybe exceptional to me. And Paul says, because God told him to, he says this, and anything else, anything else in all creation, there's nothing out, out there. 
there's, there's nothing out there that would separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And I'll point out to you again, how do we get all this? It's in Christ Jesus. And so for you this morning, I just got one thing to leave us with. One thing that will kind of summarize, one thing that hopefully will grant you security that you can face whatever's happening tomorrow, whatever's happening in the days to come, whatever you're fearful about. This one thing, and just, just think about it. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Simple truth. No matter what's going on, because I have a Jesus loves me. And that will settle it. Please join me with me in prayer. Father God, um, I don't know all the burdens in this room that you do. And I, I'm asking, I'm asking on behalf of those who are struggling that you would connect their burdens today with the truth of your word that we just went through. I'm asking that you would grant them courage and strength to face another day because they know their Savior, your Son, Jesus. That they know that uh, your love for them is connected in your Son, Jesus. That no uh, things that cause us to fear can separate us. That we are stuck to you because we're stuck to your Son. And God, may we uh, reflect and, and consider that even in these difficult times that we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors because of what your Son did. And may we rejoice and praise you that your Son remains interceding for us in our struggles. He is with us. He is uh, sitting down at your right hand. Though our accuser continues, he continues as well to be our Savior. God, do your work in your church. Encourage us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name.